Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 29 of the 7am Novelist 50-Day Writing Challenge, First Draft Edition. I'm Michelle Cooper, your host. Today we begin our week talking about scenes, and this is a huge topic. Um, so we're going to have authors Susan Bernhard and Rosie Sultan help us out today, just kind of like the basics, what is a scene, and how they kind of approach, first approach going at making a scene. Um, Susan Donovan Bernhard is a Massachusetts Cultural Council Fellowship recipient. She's a graduate of the Grub Street Novel Incubator Program. She's a 2019 Tennessee Williams Scholar to the Swanee Writers Conference, and she's also a pantser versus a plotter. Her debut novel, Winter Loon, was an Amazon bestseller and won the Boston Authors Club Julia Ward Howe Prize for Fiction. Susan was born and raised in the Bitterroot Valley of Western Montana. She's a graduate of the University of Maryland, and lives near Boston. She actually lives not too far from me, which is fun. And uh, she is currently at work at revising her next novel, More Scouts Than Strangers, which is a title I love. Uh, Rosie Sultan's novel, Helen Keller in Love, was praised by the Washington Post, Booklist, and the Library Journal, and was an American Library Association book club pick. Rosie won the Penn Discovery Award for her fiction, and as, and as well as a Virginia Center of the Creative Arts Fellowship. Her marvelous agent is shopping around her children's book, What Color Is Think, another title I love. Her new novel, The Best Way to Disappear is Nearing Completion. So both of these writers are thick into working on their next books, which I also um, think is important for everyone to listen to. Um, she has taught writing to first-generation students, story curious adults, and everyone in between at Suffolk University, Boston University, Grub Street, and the Muse and Marketplace, as well as other venues across the country. She's a manuscript consultant and helps novelists get their stories out into the world. As a literary activist, Rosie raises awareness and money for Rachel, Rachel, racial and reproductive rights with Writers for a stellar group of women writers who use their voices to make our world a better place for all. And that is a group that I've had a chance to be a small part of, and it's a great group. And just as a reminder, I hope everyone votes. If you're in the US, if you have citizenship in the US, I really hope that everyone gets out there and votes. And I uh, hope you encourage your families and friends and colleagues to vote. This particular election is very, very important. All right. Getting back to basics with scenes. Rosie, what is your definition of a scene? Just basically, what is your definition of a scene? Uh, my basic definition of a scene is you go into a supermarket, you're walking along, everything's fine. And then some poor mother stands stock still because her kid is having a tantrum and throws himself on the floor and everyone stops and looks and you can't look away because something is happening that grabs your attention. And that's a scene. Something's happening. It grabs your attention. There's some kind of action happening and something is going to be different at the end as versus just walking through the supermarket, getting your stuff and leaving. It's something that grabs your attention. And usually in that action, in fiction, there's some kind of hanging question what's going to happen to the character at the end of the scene that makes them a little bit different or they have a different question or take a different action when the scene is over. Now, that is kind of a tall order. And mm. it sounds as if it's logical and you just follow those rules 
and all your scenes will be okay. But we all know that once you're in there grappling with a scene, what does it serve? What does it matter to the story? All those kinds of things. It can be this kind of gnarly beast that you're struggling with. And for me, that's something I like about it, that it's not, it seems when you're reading it that there's a direct line and that's a good thing. But when you're writing it, boy, it can be a challenge to get all the parts lined up because you have to know your character. You have to know what's driving them. You have to know the subconscious things that they bring to the scene that are going to make things a little different at the end. And it's this complicated, beautiful object that also scares me a little bit, I have to say, which I think is a good thing. And the last thing I'll say about it for now is that I love the way it's different from summary, but I don't, sometimes they're not that different. And my Helen Keller in Love book started because Helen Keller had a love affair in 1916 and tried to get married. Mm. And a woman who wrote many books and was one of the most famous uh, women in the world only wrote two paragraphs about this major event in her life. She only wrote a summary. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is not a summary. This nice. is a big story. Yeah. And so moved that out into a much bigger story. Great. I'll pause there and hear right. what Susan has to I love to that. Say. I love that. All right, Susan, how are you doing this morning, Susan? I'm awake. <laughs> Excellent. What do you think? What is this scene for you? How do you define it? I think that's, <laughs> it's, I really wanted to do this session with you, Michelle, because um, when you sent out the list of, you know, of topics, I had just gotten back um, an editorial letter from my from my literary agency, and one of the one of the critiques was that um, it, it was there was weird weird amounts of summary, and and why was so much of it not in scene, and I had to really like I I queried my writing group and some of my writing friends, and I was like, okay, you guys. <laughs> what have I done here? You know, like what, what is the mistake that I've made um, in trying to build this novel that I've failed to put the important things in scene. And I think that that was, you know, so it really kind of put me down this, not necessarily like a rabbit hole about what is seen, mm-hmm. but understanding as you're building a novel, what, what are the pieces of the novel? Like, you know, the, the points of the novel, like what are the events of the novel? And I went back to uh, the novel Incubator mm-hmm. and looked at um, your whole your whole section on scene and and did um, uh, the the cards again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember, like the scenes of my novel, the important events of my novel, and the important mm-hmm. events of your novel have to be in scene. I mean, you you cannot summarize the important events of your novel. I mean, that's, that. so, so that yeah. was like my first piece of like, what is, what is seen that I'm missing here? Yeah. You know? And so I wrote down and I, I did have important events of my novel that were not depicted in the moment of the story. And I think that that was, that was for me, kind of the, um, the light bulb is that I, I was distancing 
the events from the moments of the story. And that was what, you know, some of it was real summary and some felt like summary because I was just, I was, I was, I had moved away from the moments of the novel. And so for me, you know, it's kind of basic stuff now is that um, the scene is a depiction of things that happen. Yes. The summary is telling what happened. And so it's, you know, it's, it, it really is the show versus tell sort of thing. Yes. Right. Yes. And so, and that's the problem with summary is that something momentous has already happened. And yet the reader hasn't been allowed to be a part of that. Hasn't yeah. been allowed to experience that alongside. And so that's why we have trouble with summary. However, in the chat, so Henriette Lazaridis, again, she's going to be a guest later on the show. Um, there is, a, it is, there's, a, there's a continuum and people make fun of me talking with my hands on the show, which is fine. Cause I do it all the time. Um, there's a continuum um, between uh, scene and summary. And there is a point in which they meet and a point in which they overlap. So if we think about summary as being um, all telling, so that would be um, highly exposition um, and also very abstract. So abstract in terms of action, abstract in terms of sensory details, you, you usually don't, in, in pure, pure summary, you probably don't have action or sensory details because there's no physicality in a pure summary. However, that makes for a very bad summary in a book. Um, so summary actually begins to veer a little bit more towards scene and you can actually make your exposition or your summary feel more like a scene if you use action verbs and sensory details. Um, and so that's where the line begins to, begins to cross because the more you're using those action details, even bits of dialogue, the more the summary begins to veer also in time and length of time that mimics how long the scene itself actually takes. Let's say a scene actually takes an hour. Um, and, and, it, and the summary begins to gain time behind it, that's when it starts to move towards scene. Uh, pure scene will be, um, uh, you know, very little exposition. We are simply allowed to watch. So we, we watch, and it'll be pure uh, uh, beats. Um, and we talk about beats in terms of um, the way uh, screenwriter or playwriting can talk about beats, um, dialogue, actions that we can see, not he sat and, and thought in a chair, but actually actions we can see as if on, we were watching a stage um, and things happening and the sense of time moving, okay? But again, as Henriette notes in the chat, you will always have some summary and some exposition in a scene. And oftentimes you will very rarely have long passages of exposition and scene that don't have of, of hints of, of, of scene. Of, uh, you won't have long passages of exposition that won't have hints of a scene. Um, and so the question is, where, where, where is the line and how far do you want to go in one direction or another? And one thing I would like to hint at is, I usually use, sorry, I usually use the Bible, the story of Eve as an example. If you actually look at the story of Eve and most, and I don't know the different names of the different Bibles, but if you look at the story of Eve, you will find that the first part of the story, um, <clears throat> we actually get a fuller scene. We have the snake talking to Eve. Um, hey, do you, hey, I've got an apple for you. Hey, don't you want to think more about your life? Hey, and Eve's like, oh, but maybe I shouldn't do that. We actually get dialogue and it's longer. And then when Eve gives the apple to Adam, it's summarized and it goes into exposition. 
Um, Eve gave the apple to Adam. They both entered a place of sin. They were thrown out of the garden because God was pissed off, yada, yada, yada. And what's That's interesting about that. Example. I love yes, that. Yes, because what's interesting is what do we remember about the apple and sin in the Bible? We remember Eve's sin. We do not remember Adam's as much. And that has basically changed our entire culture. <laughs> um, that the onus of uh, the mistake is placed on Eve and not as much on Adam because the Adam part is summarized. So that's one thing to think about too, is what do you want your reader to remember the most? What impact do you want to give your reader? And Susan, so why to keep going? Why did you find that particular example helpful to you? Well, because I think like one of the things that I, that I came to kind of understand is, you know, like, you know, Rosie talked about the definition of scene and we're talking about like the definition of things, but when you're telling a story, you, you know, you kind of play with time, even as you're telling a present story. Right. And so um, I started thinking like what, what's scene, what's summary, what's backstory and what's flashback and all of that stuff can happen within a scene. You know, there was one time she did this, you know, and, and you're going back in time to bring something that happened in the past into a present scene. Um, and so like with the Apple story, it's like, you know, these things happen to Eve, right? Like, and you know, the snake said this, and then Eve said that. And then you start telling the Adam story, like, then you're like going to almost like backstory. The snake had given Eve the apple, right? Yeah. Had given, you know, and, and that's that distance I was talking about before, you know, it's like, and that's what like my friend, um, Lisa Franz is the one who like, helped me understand this, how, how easily you can, you can pull yourself away from the present moment, just by doing that. Um, grammatically, I can't think of what the how you say that, but past past participle. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. had done this. And it, it just distances everybody the writer, the reader from the story. And, you know, you need backstory and sometimes you can have scene in backstory or in, in flashback. As I think that's the difference. You can have scene in flashback, but you can't have a scene in backstory. The backstory is the snake had given the apple to Eve, right? And so that's the stuff that, that, that builds your character is the backstory. The flashback is part of your present story that you're trying to tell. Yeah. And those are the things like, this is, this is the mud for me. Like this is, <laughs> this is where it's like, wait a second. You know, it's like, I got that editorial letter and I had this, like, just this like moment that I had um, included in the novel about this little girl coming down the stairs and this, the bad guy was in the house and she was only, you know, like five years old. And, and she's just remembering the time that she took off her underpants when she was like five years old and threw them at this bad guy. Right. And she's just remembering that, you know, and, Oh God, I can't believe I did that. And the editorial, the, in the editorial letter, she's like, why is that not in scene? Like yeah. what, that, what a weird detail. Like this goes to character so much. I want to know, I want to know what everybody did. I want to know what the room was like, what got her into that space. And I had just like tossed in this little detail. Yeah. You know, and. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be hard. So it's like, again, it's what do you want to have be remembered? Yeah. Um, and what, and so, and sometimes that, that can be really difficult. You might have a reader that wants 
um, other things to be remembered or other things to be important or other things. So you do need to be careful about that because you do need to make some choices. And what I love too is I love, so notice, so Susan um, is a best-selling novelist. She, she sold thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of Winter Moon. And yet when we go back again to the next novel, we're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> right because we're in we're in um it becomes like a new problem we feel like we feel like we're just making it up all over again and for those of you that haven't even published haven't published your first novel some ways it gets easier but some ways the next novel and the next mm. novel just become the, you know again you're in the quagmire again and you have to figure it out again um rosie so how do you <laughs> How do you approach this mess, this mud? Like, how do you make your way into a scene when you're in your process? I think it depends on where I am in the process of writing. If I'm just beginning, um, I could say I'm writing a new novel right now, but it's not actually new. I've been writing it for a couple of years now, but it's taken me a while to figure out the characters, what they want, who they are. And now that I know that a little better, in fact, much better, I can say, okay, uh, the main character, Buddy, he's entering this scene. He has rescued an orphan from uh, Rome during World War II and brings her to the United States. And then everything just goes haywire, right? It's a crazy disaster. And every time he tries to do something, what are his intentions? right? What does he think is going to happen? And then there has to be some action that either disorients him or sets him on a new path. And that's what I'm interested in, those kind of granular details of what is going to shift this person in some uncomfortable way um, and turn out a little differently than he thought. But I want to pause there for a second and shift back to the scene and summary question because yeah. I loved what Susan was saying about narrative distance. And for me, one of the cool things about summary is that sometimes it's a purposeful way to have narrative distance. Yes. Because there's something that the character cannot bear, cannot face, cannot grapple with and, and avoid. So for example, summary is so good at that. If we look at um, Nabokov with the classic summary, the mother died, parentheses, picnic, comma, lightning, two words for summary, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have a whole big exposition of how she died. And partly you could say that's because it's too painful for the mm -hmm. main character to think about. Right. And in To the Lighthouse, when Mrs. Ramsey dies, the Virginia Woolf novel, to my amazement, there is a 15 page summary of the period between her death and when the adult children begin to come back to the home where she died. Mm -hmm. 15 page summary because it's too pressurized, it's too difficult for the family to look at. And so there's a really beautiful inventive way that summary gives a writer a chance to hide things and show what's so difficult for a character. I'm not saying I do that particularly well, but I really admire the way that summary can be this very flexible um, creature that can purposefully show to the reader 
what is challenging for the writer, for the um, character. And the last thing I'll say about it for now is that in the book I'm currently writing, the young girl who comes from Rome is pretty traumatized. And so mm -hmm. there are many things she'll start to remember and you think, oh, that should be a scene. And I actually wrote them all out in scenes. And like Susan, my editor said, she can't know that then. She wouldn't think that then. It's too much. You have to, it's the exact opposite of Susan's experience. You have to summarize it, right? Yeah. And give us those things later when she's able to um, understand them or grapple with them. So yes. I had to actually telescope things and shrink them down rather than open them up um, and then put them in a little bit later, which yes. was a real challenge and a big mess for a long time. I love that reference to to the lighthouse because it's one of my favorite novels. You have a huge sweep of of summary, and then the major events, all the deaths are in brackets. Um, and, yes. and so it's it's yes. about it's and it's also thematic choice. It's about the power of nature mm -hmm. over the power of, yes. of humanity. We do have a question Absolutely. in the chat that I just want to get um, clear, and then we'll go to Susan. Um, scene. So Catherine's asking, scene can be defined in terms of the extent to which story time and narrative time are the same. So, which is actually impossible, Catherine. So again, let's say your scene takes place over three hours. Can you imagine, so that's the story time. Can you imagine the narrative time on the page taking you three hours to read that we're actually lock in time with the story time? Um, that never happens in fiction. So no matter what, you are always compressing or summarizing a scene a little bit. So the difference between scene and summary is really how far do you compress to the point that the summary um, again becomes abstraction versus are being able to participate in time. Um, so overall, no matter what, a scene is always gonna be summarized a little bit because otherwise we'd never get through a, a piece of fiction. Susan, what were you gonna say? Well, a couple so on you know on that topic too is that I think that that um, a scene is also like a novel. I mean, it has to have an arc. I mean, you yeah. have to you know you have to start with one one point and things tensions going to rise. You know, there's going to be a, some kind of a change. A character is going to change their mind or do something crazy. It's going to flip the action into something something else in your next chapter. They're going to you know feel better or worse at the end of the scene like something's going to happen but it has to have it has to have a beginning and an ending I mean you have to you know it, it may it may kind of slide in and rise and then slide out or it may you know it may you know peak and and come down pretty quickly but something has to happen and so it can't you know over the course of three hours you know someone's going to go to the bathroom and we don't need to go there with them you know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know like and, and, and in anything like um, one of the things that uh, uh, I was in a workshop with Tony early and he, <laughs> it was really helpful. He said like a novel and a scene, it's always about the thing. And then, and then the other thing. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so it's like, yeah. it's the thing, but it's also the other thing. So two things are happening in the scene, you know, that you're, what, what you're trying to depict as the action of the scene and then what the undercurrent is, whether whether your character realizes that or not, the reader hopefully does. You know, hopefully the reader's picking up on that. Like in 
in in Winterloon. Um, I added a scene pretty late in the process um, because I felt like we needed this interaction between this father and son. And so they go to cut down a Christmas tree, right? And so we're describing the, the action of, of, of driving and going to cut down a Christmas tree in the woods. But the things that we learn, you know, the, the characters don't discuss them, that the father has a dull ax, that, um, you know, that he's, he's a bad driver, um, he's impulsive, you know, all these things the reader learns in the scene as the, as the young adult um, protagonist is, is seeing it as well, but no one discusses it. It's not like, it's not, you know, like if it was summary, it would have said, you know, and, and that one time when Wes and Moss went to cut down a Christmas tree and Moss's ax was dull and Wes could see, geez, this guy's never prepared for anything. You know, he's impulsive and he's kind of an idiot, you know, but that's not, that would be a summary. Yeah. Right. You know, we learned this in scene and it was like the thing is cutting down the Christmas tree. But the other thing is Wes finally seeing his father as as an adult and like seeing how many ways he he's ill prepared for life. Which is what. Mm -hmm. So there's something that happens, mm -hmm. but it has an effect. Yeah. So because otherwise you'll just have a list of things that are happening. Um, and unless it has a deep effect on the characters of the situation, um, it's, it's, it's going to be a very difficult novel to read. And I normally talk about it. So we're going to have Sandra Schofield on later this week, and she talks about the different parts of the scene. And we're going to keep going through parts. But I always think about like every scene, a good scene, hopefully, if it's not a static scene, a dynamic scene will be like a door closing. Um, that the characters have walked through a door and the door has shut behind them so that um, and they, so the process of the scene is walking through the door, walking through the open doorway and in the process of the scene, the door shuts behind them at some point, usually the turning point of, of the scene. And we'll talk about that more later this week, but that door means that the characters can no longer go back to who they were in relationship to each other, who they were even individually or what the situation is. And it could be very small. It could just be, but the momentous for the characters, it could just be a kiss. It could be a look. Um, that could be what happens if it has a great deal of effect on the characters, then it works. And if it moves the characters to, oh, so-and-so looked at me. And so therefore we understand that their relationship has changed. A look is not that strong of a, an event, a thing that happened, but you might be able to make it that something has happened in that relationship that that look cannot be taken away. They cannot go back. That door is shut. And now the novel is con continuing to proceed forward. Yeah. Rosie, what do you think in terms of um, making a scene matter? Um, or how finding, how do you find, how do you find which events you choose to put in full scene and which not maybe? I love, so I love giving my guests these impossible questions at, at way too early when we're not even awake. Um, well, my best response at this early hour is something that was said, I've been listening to the podcast and the other day, a couple of uh, people who were on, I'm sorry, I can't remember their names right now, talked about the sort of central wound that the character carries. Yeah. And for me, that's the touchstone, right? Yes. Is there something in the scene that in some way 
directly or indirectly touches that wound, um, irritates it, gives it an opportunity to shift in some way, small or large. And I think that sounds a little abstract, um, but that's kind of the touchstone for me. For example, in this um, new book that I'm writing, the main character is shy and rather ineffective and kind of afraid of life, Mm -hmm. right? And disappears into food and daydreams and all kinds of things. And so every scene, not every scene, but many scenes have to be things that are pushing him to push up against that wound in some way. Yes. And whether he retreats from it, learns from it, that's what's going to happen in the scene, but it's always the driver. Yes. That makes sense. Yes. And that, that, yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, if you have events that are happening to your character that aren't touching on the deepest core wound, again, that kind of that, that human fault that you're trying to explore in that particular book, um, why do you have that scene? So that is a really good uh, determination in terms of what do I make a scene? What can be summarized? What might be left out altogether? Um, Right. But that's really understanding your character. So really you need to go back and I'm doing that now in the book I'm working on. You, sometimes you just need to go back and understand your character more to determine Mm -hmm. what do I need to put into a scene? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that like when you're, when you're drafting a novel, especially if you're a pantser, such as myself, you're probably going to find Mm -hmm. that a lot of things you haven't seen don't need to be in scene. And a lot of things that are in summary definitely need, definitely need the lights shined on it because it's just something that you you know you're working your way through in that first draft edition right is is trying to figure out what the story is and you know you get to the end and then you go back and go oh yeah I can see where I've I've let the characters down in these different places and where I need to pull them up exactly perfect Susan, Rosie, this has been amazing. I just love hearing your ideas. I think this is a great way to start our scene week. I think the um, our, our listeners have gotten a lot out of it. So thank you so much for waking up early and being with us. Um, tomorrow, we're going to continue scene week. And again, we're going to talk to Crystal King about intention and conflict in scenes or the idea of negotiation in scenes. And if you support what we're doing, please do share, follow, and rate our 7am Novelist podcast. You can find it on Substack or other podcast platforms and you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com all right everybody get to your desk get to work you now know exactly what you're going to do right and you're not going to be in the quagmire today you're just going to move forward rosie susan thank you so much thank you and bye Bye, everyone do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand like a leaf inside the wind and you go where it tells you to go But you never wonder why There isn't nothing here at all